0: Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So we've made it through another week. And yeah, there's been quite a few things that have gone on this week. So let's go ahead and start where I have been starting over these past, gosh, five, six weeks now. And that is with our new unemployment numbers um, for last week, an additional 3.2 million people filed for unemployment, which brings the number up to 33 million since our whole COVID situation started, which I guess we could peg it to about six weeks ago. I think that's when people really started kind of paying attention to the unemployment numbers. So on the bright side, it seems to be holding it somewhere around 3 million a week. On the bad side, it's still $3 million a week. And for what it's worth, um, obviously, I live here in Georgia, if you do not know. And technically, everything is pretty much open for business. Um, I went by the mall today because the malls are open. And obviously, this is just anecdotal. But kind of to give you an idea of even in places like Georgia, where... Legally speaking, you can open up your retail places with certain social distancing measures put in place and sanitation and stuff like that. Um, the only things really that were open in the mall were the anchor stores, with the notable exception of Nordstrom. Nordstrom is still closed. Um, I mean, four-fifths of the stores in the mall are still closed. Um, in the food court, the only thing that was open was Dairy Queen and like a i think one or two other like you know like little small like owner operated restaurants that you always seem to find in food courts um i think only one of them was open actually so that was it for the food court um none of the other eateries at least the ones that are strictly inside the mall were open we do have some that are kind of like little out parcel things or you can access them from the outside and those are still open but yeah by and large There's not a lot of non-essential retail opening, even though they are legally allowed to do so, which kind of brings us to what the next stage of this is going to be, which is what happens when governments do allow stores to resume their normal business, but stores refuse to or just cannot either comply with social distancing or they can't get the supplies they need or they just plain don't want to open for whatever reason that they're not comfortable opening. Where do you go from there? And there's no real solution to that problem, at least in my mind. I mean, you can't force stores to open if they don't want to open. That's not how this works. And kind of to tie into that, um, the stores that are opening... Um, I, I, I'm i sure everybody saw the Todd Starnes tweet about him complaining that he now lives in a tyrannical state because apparently when he went to the department store to go buy a toaster oven, they expected him to put on a mask and sanitize and do the thing where like, you know, all the aisles are only one way now, so you can either go this way or that way in the aisle. And apparently this was all just way, way too much for Todd and his quest to get a toaster oven. And so he left with no toaster oven, which... Who the hell buys a toaster oven in-store now anyway? You order that shit on Amazon. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, anyway, you didn't have to go to the store if it's really that much of an inconvenience. But we are moving to that stage where retail stores that are starting to open, I don't know of any that are just, like, kind of free-for-all-ish. I mean, I, I know a lot of the big box stores, at least around my area, have not... Like required anybody to wear a mask, but obviously it's highly encouraged. Um, they all have like the little six foot mark offs, like even outside the stores, like if they, if you exceed capacity, you have to wait outside. Um, you have to stand six feet away from each other when you're waiting in line to check out. And like I said, you have the little one way aisles and everything. But obviously this is going to be the trade-off for stores opening is that if they do so, there is going to be certain expectations of you as a customer to follow certain rules in order to try to keep everybody safe and as COVID-free as possible. And there's pushback on that. Now, I personally can understand that not wanting the government to make that decision I completely get that. I completely understand people protesting that. If a private business decides that this is what they want to do for whatever reason they want to do it, to be open, that they want to require you to wear masks or they want to require you to like use the hand sanitizer before you go in there and touch all their stuff, like that's, that's their business. Like they have the right to do that. And obviously you have the right to not go to the store if you choose not to. But I don't think it's an unreasonable expectation that stores are going to have requirements for their customers. And for what it's worth, (laughs) I think a lot of people make mountains out of molehills sometimes and it's not really not that big a deal to wear a mask and sanitize your hands before going into a store. It's really not. It's inconvenient, sure, But if that's the trade-off that has to be made, then that's what we're looking at. I mean, what we're looking at right now is not a decision between having stores open up with restrictions or have stores open up without restrictions. It's having stores open up with restrictions or not having stores open up at all. So try to bear that in mind, especially if you are somebody who does care about the economic impact of all this and all of these millions and millions and millions of people who are unemployed if they want to go back to work, and a, a lot of these people do work in retail, they work in hospitality, they work in restaurants, making a, a situation where you can get as many of those people back to work as possible by opening up their former places of employment with restrictions on customers. I mean, that's I, it's, it's something that you're going to have to consider. I mean, it, it's just that's what we're going to be looking at, at least until either... A viable treatment path is developed or a vaccine. And like I said, even here in Georgia, where legally speaking, all these stores could be open, they're not open. And that is a choice that businesses are making. So that's going to be kind of the next frontier, I think, in getting the economy back up and running and getting these people back to work is now what do you do once you get the government out of the way and now private businesses are making these decisions, like then what? So, anyway, that's what I wanted to say on that. Um, hopefully, maybe someday in the future, I will not have to give you updated unemployment numbers, but when that day is going to be, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's rough out here, folks. It's rough. So, anyway, moving on to the next thing I wanted to talk about, because... This story was kind of a victim of the news cycle because there's just so much going on all the time now and we never have time to really properly discuss or unpack or be mad about things. But remember that War Powers Resolution that Congress passed, uh, like in relationship to Trump being able to declare war with Iran and, and basically Congress saying, no, he can't do that? Well, he vetoed that. Yeah, basically called it a big political stunt by Democrats, even though there were Republicans on board with this too, because obviously the power to declare war belongs with Congress, not with the president, but he vetoed the bill. So there's that. So yeah, again, that's one of those stories that I wish we had a lot more time with, but uh, stuff just keeps happening so fast. And so, yeah, it's just another example of how this president and a lot of libertarians, I think, went into the Trump presidency kind of holding on to that fig leaf of, well, maybe he'll actually do what he says as far as withdrawing troops from Afghanistan in the Middle East and kind of drawing down the warfare state. And yeah, clearly that's not happening. So sorry, guys. I, I don't bring a lot of good news very often anymore, but moving on, um, and I bring up this story only because I spent time in the last episode talking about it, and that is the Michael Flynn case. So, as I was recording that episode, which, welcome to the life of political podcasting, there was news breaking in relationship to that story uh, the DOJ has decided to drop charges against Michael Flynn, in part due to them being just so overly horrified at how Michael Flynn was questioned. Like, my word, wow, this is just beyond the pale. And basically, everybody in law, in criminal justice Twitter, was like, really? 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 So, um, I think... Flynn was currently serving prison time. He ended up pleading guilty. Um, One of the charges he pled guilty to was lying to the FBI, which he did do. I mean, that's... He lied. (laughs) That happened. However you may happen to feel about that, I mean, obviously, I don't think lying to the FBI should get you thrown in a cage, especially since the FBI can lie to you all damn day and face no consequences whatsoever. So, yeah, um... I mean there's that and there was there was a couple of questions about it and apparently now Barr's position is that the investigation into him never should have been opened in the first place which Oh is this is this our new standard? This is great. So basically we can decide after somebody's already pled guilty that they should never have been investigated in the first place and that all of a sudden what is typical law enforcement questioning is Enough of a fig leaf to drop charges against somebody because of the way they were questioned. So I will be very interested to see once we are in a post-COVID era where courts can actually be open, how many defense attorneys show up to reopen cases to get charges against their clients dismissed on the same basis that Michael Flynn just got his released from the Department of Justice. That'll be real interesting. And going forward, if that is the standard that the DOJ wants to put out, I can see a lot of defense lawyers being like, well, if this was good enough for Michael Flynn, then it's good enough for my client too, right? Right? And spoiler alert, it's not going to be good enough for their clients because their clients aren't Michael Flynn. But... Yeah, it's, it's going to create some very interesting court cases, I do think, in the future with setting up this precedent. So, like I said, wanted to mention that just because I talked about it in the last episode as kind of a coda to that story. So apparently Michael Flynn will be getting out of jail and all of his charges will be dropped because, dear Lord, the FBI did what the FBI always does and probably will not stop doing because, you know... 99.9% of the time, they get away with it. But moving on from that, um, update on the LP convention. After what I was told was an eight-hour-long Zoom call on the 9th... <laughs> eight hours. Eight hours Zoom. Oh my god, what the fuck could possibly have taken eight hours to make this decision? Anyway, how this is going to go down is... Over Memorial Day weekend, which was when the original in-person LP convention was supposed to take place in Austin, there will be an online, I'm not entirely sure what, um, but what will be handled on Memorial Day weekend is the delegate voting for president and vice presidential candidates. How this is going to work logistically, I am not entirely sure yet, but that will be taking place on Memorial Day weekend. And then, as it stands right now, there is an in-person convention scheduled for July eighth through twelfth in Orlando. Um, location TBD in Orlando, but it's supposed to be taking place in Orlando. Um, okay, I I, I think that's a little ambitious. Um, I don't really know if July is going to be a go for anybody traveling anywhere. I don't know, but basically what's supposed to happen at the in-person convention is that is when LP delegates are going to pick a new chair, vice chair, any other offices that are up for re-election. Um, that's when the pick for the presidential and vice presidential candidates will be officially ratified. So fingers crossed that happens in July. Um, it seems like a lot of questioning what's going on as far as whether that is a good idea to try to schedule anything right now, not knowing what exactly our situation is going to be like in July. I tend to agree with that. I don't know if trying to schedule anything in person right now is a particularly wise decision, but that's where we stand right now. So, I, like I said, I'm not entirely sure how the Memorial Day weekend thing is going to go down. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be something that is, like, publicly available for everyone to watch. Like, it would be if you went to the LP convention, obviously, you could go watch the delegates vote. i um, not sure of the logistics of voting, so once I know something, I will let you know. If it is something that can be watched publicly, I am going to try to do that. I, oh my God, the the idea of a thousand people being on a Zoom call, or I mean, I, I mean, obviously this can't happen via Zoom call. Like I don't know what technology is going to have to take place for delegates to be able to vote in any kind of like logical way that even remotely makes sense. I don't know, but this is apparently what we're doing. So there you go. I guess we'll figure this out over the next couple of weeks because Memorial Day weekend is two weeks away from when I'm recording this. Yeah. Anyway, there's the update on that. So let's move on from that to the story that pretty much everybody is talking about right now. And that's the Ahmad Avery story. If you're not aware of this story, let me try to explain it to you. And I will go ahead and start by saying... I'm going to explain this chronologically in how the story became public, not necessarily the events in the story, because we're gonna have a little bit of a time jump here because this is a situation that took place back on February 23rd and just now became public this past week. Um, There was a clip of a video that went viral showing Ahmaud Avery jogging down the side of the road. Some people say running, some people say jogging, I say jogging and he's being confronted by two men, Gregory and Travis McMichaels. So the original video clip shows basically, and hold on, let me let me try to back up and explain, because this is going to be one of those time jump things. We now know that the original video was being filmed by one of their neighbors, uh, William Bryant. So basically what it is, is you've got the McMichaels in the truck in front of Avery. You've got Avery jogging down the road, and then you've got Bryant riding behind him, who is the one filming this whole thing. So the clip shows Avery coming up to the truck. Um, it shows Travis getting out of the driver's side with a gun. And so you see Avery basically try to like run along the passenger side of the truck, I guess, obviously, to try to avoid the man with the gun. And at this point of the video, this is kind of why this video, I, 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 I've got my questions because this, like the part that is like the crucial part of what we need to see, neither n- neither Avery or McMa- McMichaels are in the shot. Like he's off, like it's like the ground or something. I don't know. Anyway, when we pick back up with those two men, they're both in the middle of the street and they're struggling over the shotgun, and Avery's trying to get the shotgun away from McMichaels, and somehow or another, the gun goes off, Avery gets shot, and ends up bleeding out and dying on the scene. So that is the original clip. That went viral, obviously, because it's two white men pursuing, well, actually, technically three white men, because everybody seems to forget, like, he had a car in front of him and behind him which let me deviate from the story a little bit if you are abri you're running down the road you've got a car in front of you you've got a car behind you you kind of can figure out what's going on here especially when the people in front of you are visibly armed And I would make the assumption, although I'm not entirely sure because apparently this dude's fallen off the face of the fucking planet, I would assume that the guy in the car behind me would be armed too. So there's a lot of speculation about what exactly happened in this altercation and whether the McMichaels were within their legal rights to be doing this because... And again, this is a part where the story has changed up quite a bit. Um, Originally, um, the McMichaels were saying that there had been burglaries in their neighborhood. Um, One of them had claimed to have a gun stolen from his vehicle, but there were never any police reports filed as to any of these alleged burglaries, which, brief side note, slash PSA, slash reason why I think that the whole gun thing is absolute horseshit. If you have a gun registered to you and you do not have possession of that gun anymore, be it you sold it, be it somebody stole it, I mean, you have to have documentation showing when that gun exited your possession. If you have a firearm that is licensed to you, stolen from you, the first thing every gun owner knows to do or at least should know to do and especially these two the McMichaels should know to do because here's where here's where things start getting crazy um one of them is a retired cop both of them investigators for their local DA's office bear that in mind it's going to become important everybody knows that you have to file a police report when there is a gun stolen from you because you need to establish a timeline as to when you did not have that gun in your possession anymore because if something happens with that gun if that gun is used in the commission of a crime and it is still legally registered in your name and you have no proof of when that gun was no longer in your possession you're getting a knock on the door and you're going to have to answer some questions about that weapon and that is not the time to start trying to report a stolen weapon because the cops are going to look at you like yeah right okay buddy sure It was stolen six months ago. Uh, Okay, sure. Can you prove it? Did you file a police report? So that's why I kind of call horseshit on that whole story. But I told you that in order to kind of explain how the goalposts have moved on this story quite a bit. So anyway, back to the timeline. So this goes viral. Um, GBI gets involved, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, because... At the time of the shooting in February, there were no arrests made. And so both of these men were still out walking around free. And so obviously this created a big, massive, huge uproar. GBI gets involved and they end up arresting both of the guys on both murder and aggravated assault. I believe those are the two charges they settled on. So they are currently right now in prison custody of gbi hooray <laughs> um good job social media because up until this whole thing went viral um yeah there was what is beginning to look increasingly like an effort to sweep this whole thing under the rug and These two getting arrested is actually not the end of this story. We're just getting started because now that this has become public, people have started asking questions like, well, why weren't there any arrests made at the time of the shooting? And this is where things start getting, quite frankly, shady as fuck. Now, this I'm going to read directly from Wikipedia because this is where things kind of start getting messy and a little difficult to follow so the police report of the incident released to the media on March 31st relied almost entirely on an interview with Gregory McMichael conducted by the responding officer okay so you have a shooting you have three people who you know for a fact or eyewitnesses you've got Gregory McMichael you've got Travis McMichael who is the person who was in somewhat physical possession of the gun when it went off when it killed Avery, and you have william bryant who is in the other car filming the whole incident you only question one person and the one person you question is the one person who happens to have worked for the 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 da's office for let's see oh more than 20 years oh look at there isn't that interesting so the report describes McMichael as a witness who says he was in the yard of his house when he saw Arbery running by. He called to Travis McMichael and said, "Arbery is running down the street. Let's go." They grabbed a 357 Magnum handgun and a shotgun and then got into a pickup truck to chase Arbery. Travis attempted to cut off Arbery with the truck. Arbery then turned around and began running back in the direction from whence he came. A third person, Roddy, also tried to cut off Arbery but failed. Gregory said, "Gregory said they called to Arbery, stop, stop. We want to talk to you." Gregory claimed that they pulled up to Arbery with Travis exiting the truck with a shotgun. Gregory claimed Arbery began to violently attack Travis before two shots were fired. Arbury died on the spot after bleeding out, the report concluded. Hmm. That seems to leave out a lot of information. But we, we will get there because there have been other subsequent videos that have been released on the internet that are definitely making things look a lot less cut and dried and McMichaels is trying to make it here, but here's where things start going sideways. The Glen County Police Department responded to the scene in the immediate aftermath of the shooting. The case initially came under the jurisdiction of Brunswick District Attorney Jackie Johnson. She recused herself on February 25th due to Gregory McMichaels previously having worked for her office. Two Glenn County commissioners later on May 8th accused Johnson or her office of preventing the McMichaels' immediate arrest by the responding police officers, despite the officers' belief that there was probable cause to make the arrests. Johnson's office responded by stating that Johnson did not have any conversations with any Glen County police officer about this case on February 23rd, and that no assistant district attorney in the office directed any Glenn County police officer not to make an arrest. Johnson also... Johnson's office also blamed the Glen County Police Department for being unable to make a probable cause determination on its own, arguing that it was the local police' responsibility to make arrest, not the district attorney's responsibility. The Glen County Police Department released a statement on May 9th regarding their initial investigation activities. The local police stated that on February 23rd, the Brunswick Dis- District Attorney's Office became involved in the investigation. The McMichaels were deemed not to be flight risk, and officers were advised by the in brackets here, Brunswick District Attorney's Office, that no arrests were necessary at this time. The local police also stated that on February 24th, Waycross Judicial C- Circuit District Attorney George Barnhill told them the killing of Arbery was justifiably homicide. Cross District Attorney George Barnhill, who became, I believe, the acting DA after Johnson recused herself, wrote a memo about the case before recusing himself in April 2020. The recusal came after Arbury's mother argued that Barnhill had a conflict of interest because Barnhill's son, like Gregory McMichael previously, worked for the Brunswick District Attorney. Barnhill wrote that McMichaels was within their rights to chase a burglary suspect, that Arbery initiated the fight, that Travis McMichael was allowed to use deadly force to protect himself, when Arbury grabbed the shotgun, and that Arbery had a juvenile and felony record, as well as family members that had a criminal history. Burnhill recommended that no arrest be made. So what you've got is the sheriff's department who is saying, or well, the police department, excuse me, saying that they did not make an arrest on the spot because the DA's office told them not to. The DA's office is saying we never said any such thing. Glynn County Police Department is sticking by their original story that, no, we were told by the DA's office to not make an arrest oh boy, this is getting really, really shady. So yeah, obviously somebody made the call to not arrest the McMichaels at that time. Who made that call is apparently up in the air. And like I said, Glenn County PD is sticking by their statement that we didn't make that decision. The DA's office told us to do that. Like I said, bear in mind, Gregory McMichaels worked for the DA's office for over 20 years, and both him and his dad were investigators with the office. So, yeah, this is kind of beginning to look like the DA's office was trying to cover up for some of their own. And that is where the second wrinkle of the story comes in, is because now you have to sit down and figure out, okay, were the McMichaels in the right in doing what they did? Here's going to be the problem. There's what you and I as rational people can say, no, you don't do that. You, you don't, you don't take somebody that you think robbed you and then go chase after them armed and pin them in like you don't do that. Legally speaking, this may be another matter entirely. And for precedent here, I point to the George Zimmerman case because as everybody remembers, Zimmerman started that altercation. He saw Trayvon walking down the street, decided for what the fuck ever reason that he needed to go grab his gun and start this confrontation, and it ended up with Trayvon Martin being killed. George Zimmerman got off because of stand your ground laws and right to self-defense, to which my argument would be in that case and in this case is, well, what was Arbery's right to self-defense? Like, does that go out the window? Because I don't know about you, but if I've got one car in front of me and there's people armed in there and there's another car behind me and I'm going to assume they're armed and I'm not armed, I, I mean, you do not have a lot of very good choices right there. Your choices are to try to run like hell, which he tried to do, or you fight. Like, what else is there for you to do? Like, of course, you're going to try to get the gun away from somebody if they're pointing it at you. Like, that's just... That's logic and common sense. But logic and common sense, the way we understand it, does not always mesh with the law and what it prescribes. But anyway, back to the story. So over the past 24 hours, there have been a couple additional video clips that have made it onto the internet. Um, AJC released one, and I believe GBI themselves actually released a second one. Um, The ones that AJC released, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is of a porch cam from the neighbors who are across the street from the McMichaels house. And now this is where this when, when I told you the goalposts were moving, this is where they're moving. We started with, okay, they thought that Avery was responsible for these burglaries that had happened in the neighborhood. We've moved away from that. Now we are on Avery trespassed onto a uh, property that the McMichaels owned where there is a house under construction. And the 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 first, the AJC clips, like I said, they're they're Porsche cam video. So it's kind of far away and kind of hard to tell, but it is helpful in that it gives you a definitive timeline because there is timestamps on this. So this whole thing went down in the span of about 10 minutes. You see Arbery jogging and he stops at the the home under construction and he goes in which is a thing that most people have done at some point in their life because it's interesting to go look at. So he goes in there. He's in there for maybe like a minute or two, and he leaves. And then you can see the McMichaels leave their house, get in their truck, and then they go to chase him. How how the neighbor got involved in this? Like, how, how neighbor number three in the other car? I mean, this... <sighs> I've got so many fucking questions, y'all. So many questions. Anyway, so they all get in their vehicles. I'm presuming the McMichaels managed to get out in front of Arbery. And so they he gets there and basically cuts him off at the pass, starts this confrontation. You have the neighbor behind. And then, according to the notes on the AJC videos, another neighbor had called 911. So you get this time lapse of you see them leaving, you see them going down, and then roughly, I'd say maybe five-ish minutes later, you see the first cop car heading in the same direction as the McMichaels and Arbury went. And this cop car, I'd say, probably going maybe 35, 40 miles an hour. Mind you, this is a residential street. So you see that cop car going presumably gets to the scene and then you see cop car number 2 show up now like i said cop car number 1 probably doing 3540 cop car number 2 probably doing about 75 to 80 like this cop is flying down the street so while the official story is that the cops didn't get there until after the altercation was over Whatever cop number one said made a backup necessary and to get there as fast as humanly possible. So I would really, really like to see the dash cam from cop number one's car. That I think, I mean, even if you took the the police at their word on this one and said that they showed up after the incident had occurred, then why the fuck would cop number two need to be barreling down the road at 80 miles an hour? Like, if it was already done, then what, there there should not have been any need for backup, period, let alone backup, to be driving down the road like their hair is on fire. Like, what really happened here? What really happened? What did these cops really see go down? That's what I want to know. So that's how we got to that. So basically, we've, we've moved from, Arbery went into this this domicile that is under construction, to look at it, and then that whole this whole thing popped off. Slight side note, um, the McMichaels apparently worked with the DA's office on an investigation of Arbery previously, so it's not like he was unknown to them, and so there might have been a little bit of bias going into this from the McMichaels' side, but anyway... All this happens. So that those videos kind of set the timeline to kind of try to figure this out. And then another video, the GBI video, actually shows the interior of the house under construction and Arbery in it. And you can see him walking in. It doesn't even look like he touches anything, let alone steals anything. Like, it's, it's pretty obvious he's not there to steal anything. And then he leaves. So now... Now, it's like, what the hell is going on here? What the fuck just happened? And to me, and again, we can wait for more information to come out, but this is not looking good for the DA's office. It it is not looking good for the DA's office. And like I pointed out in the part that I read off of Wikipedia, we are on District Attorney number three. For this case because the first two had to recuse themselves wow this is one of those where it might prove the old saying that the cover-up's always worse than the crime not saying that the crime here is minor at all I mean there's there's no moral justification for what the McMichaels did there just isn't I'm sorry no you don't get to just climb in your car like grab your guns, go chase people down because you quote unquote, want to talk to them. like that's that's not how this works. And for what it's worth, they did not call nine one one. somebody else called nine one one. So if nobody had called nine one one, what the fuck would like, wow, <laughs> Good God, Almighty. This is just, oh, this is gonna get so messy. This is gonna get so messy. It's already messy. You already have people arguing on the internet whether what the McMichaels did was right or wrong or was within their legal rights to do. There seems to be some question on the basis of Georgia law whether Arbery was trespassing or not. I'm not super up on that area of law, so I will try to find out and let you guys know if, legally speaking, what he did would be considered trespassing at all. But it, it doesn't justify getting... Into an altercation with somebody like that, where somebody ends up dead. Like, there's that was completely fucking uncalled for. And the fact that the DA's office seems to have been caught at best, I not wanting to investigate this because before this all went viral, there was nothing going on in this case towards the McMasters getting charged with anything once this went viral, when it first went viral, um, the DA tried to kind of punt by saying that they didn't want to bring charges, but they were going to put it in front of a grand jury, which by the way, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we're kind of in the middle of a global pandemic and courts aren't really open right now. And we don't really know when they're going to be open. So who the hell knows when this grand jury was supposed to take place? But they tried to punt with that. People got pissed. And then, like I said, GBI got involved and GBI decided, okay, we're arresting these guys. So, oh man, it almost sounds like a movie, right? Like like a movie about the Deep South. But this is apparently actually happening right now in 2020 in the Deep South. And I'm not ignorant. Like, I live in Georgia. I understand that this kind of shit does still happen. And this kind of mindset is still prevalent in certain places that when you see a black man, especially a black man with a name like Ahmaud Avery, let's keep it real, there's going to be a certain level of prejudice against that person if they are in perhaps a smaller, whiter, rural town. It, it, that just is what it is. I mean, <laughs> there, there's a lot going on in this case. And none of it good. Like, you've, you've got the, the whole confrontation aspect, you've got the cover-up aspect, and this is just... This needs to go to trial. Honestly, we need some kind of accounting, both from the McMasters and from the DA's office, of what exactly the hell happened here. Like, I, I we we need some explanation. Because this shit don't look good for anybody right now. Right now, it looks like You shot someone, be it accidentally or on purpose, because they were looking around in a house under construction, and then your local DA's office tried to cover it up because y'all know each other and have a 20-year-plus relationship. Oh, Lord. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure there will be more to talk about on this story later, but that is where we're at with it for this week. And so at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. So if you've been listening this long, thank you as always. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.